reading because it's always, you know, even I'm guessing how on earth that's going to, to come up in a, a sermon about a guy being eaten by a lion. But we're going to get there eventually in 1 Kings chapter 13. And if you want to open up to 1 Kings chapter 13, um, by the end of the morning, we're going to read all of that chapter. So it'd be good to follow along with us. But uh, I found the story about some raw recruits that were preparing for their first jump from uh, C-130 aircraft at 1,200 feet. And the sergeant explained to them um, what to do if the main parachute didn't open. He said, snap back immediately into a tight body position and then pull the ripcord of your reserve chute and it will open, bringing you safely to the ground. Uh, and a private stirred nervously and he, he slowly raised his hand. He said, sergeant, if my main parachute doesn't open, how long do I have to pull the reserve cord? And the sergeant looked directly uh, into his eyes, and he replied earnestly, the rest of your life, soldier, the rest of your life. And how many of you believe that that soldier would remember to pull his reserve cord immediately as soon as that main chute did not open? You better believe it. It was a simple instruction and one that he would never forget. You know, this week we had... Um, on Wednesday night, an introduction to a new class that we're starting on Wednesday nights from Paul's letter to the Thessalonian Christians, where he talks about how we should process information. You know, we hear more than what we should believe, so how do we sort through that information to know what is fact and what is fiction? And, and there is, uh, and that's guidance that we need now more than any other time in history. Researching for this class every day of 2019. We found the world has created, what is it, 2.5 quintillion bytes of data. To put that in context on your uh, social media feed, if you're on Facebook, you're going to scroll through more words per day than are in most short novels, about 63,000 words. To put that in context, two weeks of that is an entire Bible's worth of words. Uh, we, it doesn't count all the other media you see. Uh, 300 million photos are uploaded to Facebook every day. 300 hours uh, of video, like our podcast, Rooted Daily, uploaded to uh, YouTube every single minute. And we like to think that we can make all of our decisions rationally, that we can look at all sides of an argument and, and we can weigh the pros and the cons. But with all of the information we're faced with, that's simply not possible for everything. We're not able to consider all the information we have equally anymore. It's a noble cause when it's possible to go rationally through an argument, but in reality, it's simply impossible to sort through all the information we have equally. We are bombarded by more information per hour, per day, per lifetime than any other generation in history. Just on uh, YouTube alone, you would need 18,000 monitors running 24-7 to even have playing all of the information that's uploaded to that site every single minute. We can't do that. And, but then again, all throughout history, it's also not been possible to process all of the information that people received. When we're reading the letters to the Thessalonians, they couldn't process all of the information they received equally. And even all the way back here to the Old Testament in 1 Kings 13, they couldn't process this information equally either. In psychology, we call the brain's way uh, of dealing with this heuristics, right? We have 
certain biases in our mind that help us process information because we receive more information than we can process equally. And so we have triggers that will result in cascading results. One small piece of data is going to trigger all sorts of different actions or, or the brain is going to learn to ignore certain inputs. A good example of this, uh, you ever been into a house, your guests there uh, and their smoke detector is low on batteries. What do you hear? Beeping all the time. Every, what is it, two minutes or something, there's a, a little chirp that goes off in the house and it annoys you to death while you're sitting visiting in that house, but no one else can hear it. Everyone else has gotten used to that little chirp that goes off two minutes, so they don't even process it. It's not that they don't hear it anymore. Their brain has just learned that is not an important trigger to respond to anymore. So they save energy for unique sounds that they should process. And on a surface level, we have to sort through uh, information people give us or show us uh, online or in books or in sermons or on television in the same way. There's more content than we can go through equally. So we have to figure out which data are important and which aren't. The Thessalonians didn't have uh, computers to, to process quintillions of bytes of data, but they still had more information than they could sort through. Uh, and Paul wanted them not to get distracted. Even when we hear conflicting news, finding out what we really need to know, Paul says is actually pretty simple. And that's always been true. It's true for us today. It was true for the Thessalonians. And this morning we're going to see uh, it was true all the way back to about 920 before Christ in this account we read in 1 Kings 13. And here in 1 Kings, we find another shocking statement, just like that young private heard about his uh, reserve cord. You have the rest of your life to pull that cord, because if you don't pull the cord, that will be the end of your life. You know, a prophet is told by God here in 1 Kings 13, essentially, you have the rest of your life to eat or drink on this journey, because when you eat or drink, you will die. A lion will be sent after you. So go ahead and open up the First Kings, or, or look up here on the screen and follow along, because we're going to have to go um, quickly to, follow, to get through all of this. It says in verse 1, And behold, a man of God went from Judah to Bethel by the word of the Lord. And Jeroboam stood by the altar to burn incense. And then he cried out against the altar by the word of the Lord and said, O altar, altar, thus says the Lord, Behold, a child, Josiah by name, shall be born to the house of David, and on you he shall sacrifice the priests of the high places who burn incense on you, and men's bones shall be burned on you. And he gave a sign the same day, saying, This is the sign which the Lord has spoken. Surely the altar shall split apart, and the ashes on it shall be poured out. Then in verse 4, so it came to pass when King Jeroboam heard the saying of the man of God who cried out against the altar in Bethel that he stretched out his hand from the altar saying, arrest him. Then his hand, when he stretched out toward him, withered so that he could not pull it back to himself. And the altar also was split apart and the ashes poured out from the altar according to the sign which the man of God had given by the word of the Lord. Then the king answered and said to the man of God, please entreat the favor of the Lord your God and pray for me that my hand may be restored to me. And so the man of God entreated the Lord and the king's hand was restored to him and be became as before. Then the king said to the man of God, come home with me and refresh yourself and I will give you a reward. I think I was too slow there. 
Verse 8. But the man of God said to the king, If you were to give me half your house, I would not go in with you, nor would I eat bread, nor drink water in this place. For so it was commanded me by the word of the Lord, saying, You shall not eat bread, nor drink water, nor return by the same way you came. So he went another way and did not return by the way he came to Bethel. Now, get to the interesting part. An old prophet dwelt in Bethel, and his sons came and told him all the works that the man of God had done that day in Bethel. And they also told the father the words which he had spoken to the king. And the father said to them, which way did he go? And for his sons had seen which way the man of God went who came from Judah. And then he said to his sons, saddle the donkey for me. And so they saddled the donkey for him, and he rode on it. And he went after the man of God, meaning the young prophet, and he found him sitting under an oak. Then he said to him, are you the man of God who came from Judah? And he said, I am. And then he said, come home with me and eat or with me and eat bread. And he said, I cannot return with you nor go in with you. Neither can I eat nor bread nor drink water with you in this place. For I have been told by the word of the Lord, you shall not eat bread nor drink water there nor return by the way you came. And the old prophet said to him, I too am a prophet just as you are. And an angel spoke to me by the word of the Lord, saying, Bring him back with you to your house, that he may eat bread and drink water. He was lying to him. So he went back with him, and he ate bread in his house, and he drank water. Now, it happened, as they sat at the table, that the word of the Lord came to the prophet who had brought him back, and he cried out to the man of God who came from Judah, saying, Thus says the Lord, because you have disobeyed the word of the Lord and have not kept the commandment which the Lord your God commanded you, but you came back, you ate bread and you drank water in the place which the Lord said to you, eat no bread and drink no water, your corpse shall not come to the tomb of your fathers. And so it was, after he had eaten bread and after he had drunk, that he saddled the donkey for him, the prophet whom he had brought back. And when he was gone, a lion met him on the road and killed him. And his corpse was thrown on the road and the donkey stood by it, and the lion also stood by the corpse. And there men passed by and saw the corpse thrown on the ground, and the lion standing by the corpse. Then they went and told it in the city where the old prophet dwelt. We're going to stop there for a moment. There's a lot going on there, so let's do a little bit of a, a review. A man of God, he confronts Jeroboam, right, the king of the northern nation of Israel. And because he had uh, encouraged idolatry that had been practiced at this altar at Bethel, the prophet tells Jeroboam that the false priests who offered sacrifices there were going to die on that altar, that their bones would be burned up there too. And so King Jeroboam, he had the audacity to try to order God's prophet seized. He said, arrest him, right? only to have his outstretched arm wither as he gestured at the prophet and watch helplessly as that altar that the, the young prophet promised was going to split in two. That's exactly what happened. And so Jeroboam, he quickly rethought uh, that behavior. He realized maybe it's not a good idea to go up against a man of God. And he repented and he pled with the prophet to pray that God would heal his withered hand. And so it happened. And Jeroboam was so humbled that he offered uh, this prophet to come in and eat and drink, a perfectly reasonable um, suggestion. But the prophet refused. And he told uh, Jeroboam why? Even if you were to give me half your possessions, 
I would not go with you, nor would I eat or drink water with you. For I was commanded by the word of the Lord, you must not eat bread or drink water or return by the way you came. In 1 Kings chapter 13, 8 through 9. And so the prophet returns home by another route of how he came, and he doesn't go and he doesn't eat with King Jeroboam. But then comes this new guy, an old prophet who lived in the town of Bethel, and his sons came to him and told him everything that the young prophet had said to King Jeroboam, including what the, this instruction from God not to go and eat and drink in this land and not return the way he came. And so the younger man uh, went home with, or excuse me, the, the older prophet saddled his donkey. He went out to find this young prophet. And he says, listen, I'm a prophet too. And God has said something else to me. He says, disregard the instruction I gave you before. I have new instruction. Come home with me and I will give you bread and give you water. So the younger prophet believed him. He went home with the older prophet and he ate with him. And immediately afterward, what happened to the younger prophet? A lion came after him and devoured him on the road. Now, excuse me, but that hardly seems fair. You know, what is going on here? You know, let's start with uh, the man who lied, the second and the older prophet who was from Bethel. We're not given um, these people's names. All we know is that uh, this man was a prophet who lived in Bethel. And of course, we're told that his lie led to the death of another man. But why would he lie? I mean, did God send him to lie to the younger man? I, I don't think so. Probably not. If he had been sent by God, the Bible would have told us so. In addition to that, the, the older prophet's actions they don't sound to me like he was following God's directions. So why did he lie? I guess his, he was a little jealous. I, I'm thinking the old prophet was jealous of this young one. After all, he lived in Bethel. He lived in this seat of idolatry. He was a prophet of God, and yet God didn't call on him to go and speak to the king. God had sent this young guy to come into the land and speak to him. And I don't believe the older man, he intended to have his actions uh, result in the death of the younger prophet, but I, I think he was trying to find a way of discrediting him. He was trying to find a way to say, listen, this young prophet, he doesn't listen to the commands of God. Maybe he didn't know that God um, was going to send a lion after this man, but he certainly wanted to get him out of the way. He was jealous of him. And one of the sad realities of life is that even men of God, preachers and elders, other leaders can have feet of clay. They can end up doing things like that. If, uh, if they were jealous, they would do things that if other people did them would shock them. And shock is exactly what happened with this old prophet when he finds out what happened as a result of his lie. It says in verse uh, 26, I'll start there. Now when the prophet who had brought him back from the way heard it, he said, it is the man of God who was disobedient to the word of the Lord. Therefore, the Lord has delivered him to the lion, which has torn him and killed him according to the word of the Lord, which he spoke to him. And he spoke to his son saying, saddle the donkey for me. And so they saddled it. And then he went and found his corpse thrown on the road and the donkey and the lion standing by the corpse. And the lion had not eaten the corpse nor torn the donkey. And the prophet took up the corpse of the man of God, laid it on the donkey and brought it back. And so the old prophet came to the city to mourn and to bury him. And then he laid the corpse in his own tomb and they mourned over him saying, alas, my brother, and so it was after he had buried him that he spoke to his son saying, when I am dead, then bury me in the tomb where the man of God is buried. Lay my bones beside his bones. 
For the saying which he cried out by the word of the Lord against the altar in Bethel and against all the shrines on the high places which are in the cities of Samaria will surely come to pass. 1 Kings 13, 26 through 31. You know, the old man, he was shocked by what he did. He was good enough to repent of that wickedness. That brings us to the younger prophet. Why did he die? What did he do that was so wrong? He had gone to the king. He had done what God asked him. He had refused twice not to go and eat and drink in the land. But eventually, he died because he disobeyed a direct command from God. Uh, some might say that's not his fault. He was lied to by another prophet. He was deceived. And yes, he was deceived, but let me let you in on a secret. Deception is no excuse for disobedience from a direct command of God. You know, our legal system has a motto to that effect. Ignorance of the law is no excuse, right? If I'm driving down uh, a country road and I'm going 70, even though uh, there's not been a sign up for miles, if a, a police officer pulls me over and uh, says, sir, you're speeding, and I say, well, I didn't see any sign about that. I figured the speed limit was unlimited here. That's not any excuse. He's still going to give me a ticket uh, if I'm going over the limit. Uh, my ignorance will come at a price. And this young prophet, he wasn't even ignorant of God's instructions. He knew what they were. He repeated them twice, once the old prophet, once to the king, even declaring that if the king offered him half of everything he owned, he was not going to disobey God. So why did he end up finally disobeying? What went wrong? What was the trigger that convinced him, even after standing up to the king and turning down all this wealth, now is when I am going to cave. Now is when I'm going to disobey what God specifically told me. Well, had he received another message from God to say this is okay? No. Instead, he listened to a secondhand account. He listened to someone who said God had spoken to him through an angel. He listened to somebody who lied to him. That's what Scripture tells us. You know, there are people who will lie to you. They'll lie to you because they don't like you. They'll lie to you because they don't like us. They'll lie to you because they don't like God. They'll lie to you because they think they're helping you by lying. But they'll lie to you regardless. A lie is a lie is a lie. Second Thessalonians 2, 9-12, it says, "...the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with the work of Satan, displayed in all kinds of counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders, and in every sort of evil that deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them a powerful delusion so they will believe the lie, and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness." Some embrace a lie because they prefer a lie to God's truth. They refuse to love the truth. One man wisely noted, men don't reject the Bible because it contradicts themselves. They reject it because it contradicts what they want it to say. It contradicts them. And that's what Paul's warning us of in his letters to the Thessalonians. There are people who will come in with all sorts of information, all sorts of contradictory arguments, and try to convince you of a lie by overloading you with information. But Surely, us here, we wouldn't be deceived by that kind of thing, would we? Oh, yeah, we could. If it could happen to this young man of God who confronted King Jeroboam, that was a pretty brave thing to do. If it could happen to a man who was instrumental in the king's hand shriveling and a, a pagan altar to splitting open, 
If it could happen to him, it could happen to us. And the reason this young prophet slipped is because he listened to secondhand information. He wasn't listening to God. He was listening to someone else who said he was listening to God. And it was secondhand information. And so often we do the same thing. We filter our source material through uh, tradition, what others have said in the past, or experience, how the scriptures relate to our surroundings, or reason, how it makes sense to us, or if something in scripture doesn't make sense to us, maybe we can just ignore it. In fact, some have even labeled those the spectacles, the glasses that scripture should always be passed through, and that's their established policy that all of scripture should be passed through the lens of, of reason and tradition and experience uh, and notice all three of those are secondhand sources the bible is begging us not to filter it jesus condemned tradition the way that we're raised in vain do they worship me teaching us doctrines the commands of men matthew 15 9 uh, god's old testament law condemned uh, experience as an acceptable basis for doctrine. In Deuteronomy 13, if a prophet or one who foretells by dreams appears among you and announces to you a miraculous sign or wonder, and if the sign or wonder of which he has spoken takes place, and he says, let us follow other gods, gods you have not known, and let us worship them, you must not listen to the words of that prophet or dreamer. The Lord your God is testing you to find out whether you love him with all your heart and with all your soul. It is the Lord your God you must follow, and him you must revere. Keep his commands and obey him, serve him, and hold fast to him. The Old Testament said even if someone comes to you and says something, and they can prove it, but they tell you to follow another God, don't do it. Proverbs condemns reason as the basis of doctrine by saying, lean not on your own understanding, Proverbs 3, 5. And there is a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof is death in Proverbs 14, 12. Secondhand information is never acceptable to God as the basis of what we believe. His word doesn't need a filter, doesn't need a, a heuristic, it doesn't need a, a, a lens to see it. It can be understood plainly. Pre preachers are commanded to be devoted uh, to the public reading of scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Watch your life and doctrine closely, persevere in them, because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers in 1 Timothy 4.13. Elders are to be men who hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it in Titus 1.9. In other words, the leaders in the church must be those who rely solely on God's word. You know, the leaders of the church should set an example of reliance on scripture that the people in the church will become like the Bereans in the book of Acts. Now the Bereans were a more noble character than the Thessalonians, for they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true in Acts 17.11. You see, we're a lot like this young prophet. Uh, we've got the world pressing in on us, and they're pretty smooth. You know, we know we're in a war against sin. We know that's who we are as Christians. We're in a war to save souls. And so we go out and we plead with people to repent. We want to warn them what will happen if they don't. And that's just what the young prophet did. He went into the inner sanctum of King Jeroboam and he said, listen, what you are doing, what you're condoning is wrong. He wanted uh, to show him just how dangerous what he was doing was. He was dedicated uh, to serving God, even as the king tried 
um, to arrest him. The young prophet, he didn't run. He trusted God. But then the world got a little sneaky, right? He, he stood up to King Jeroboam there, but then uh, rough edges kind of softened a little on King Jeroboam. He seemed to uh, start be getting, getting along with the program. He says, why don't you just come in and eat and drink with me? Why don't you just come in? Um, I know it's disobedience to God, but um, I've learned the error of my ways. So he asked this young prophet, uh, sees if he can entice him with sin. And for the young prophet, that was eating and drinking on this journey when God had commanded him not to. But the, this young prophet, he resists the world. He resists King Jeroboam, even when he's uh, faced with, with uh, wealth and um, power and, and prestige. He says, no, I'm not going to fall for that. I'm not going to cave there. But then he's faced with another man of God, or at least a man who says he's a man of God. And that is what got him. The world couldn't get uh, this young prophet on secondhand information. He couldn't convince him. Uh, King Jeroboam couldn't convince the young prophet to cave. But this other guy who came in the cloak of saying he heard from God, he had heard directly from an angel of God, and he's got some secondhand information that he can pass on to this young prophet, that's what convinced him to cave in. We should refuse to rely on secondhand information. And that, in fact, should be a tremendous relief for us. And it should, be, uh, should have been a, a tremendous relief for the young prophet too because we have so much information coming at us all the time. God says it's okay. You don't have to process it all. You don't have to uh, think through it rationally all the time. There's some things we can safely ignore. And God has given us a perfect heuristic to sort through all of the information we hear, at least when it's regarding our salvation. He says, process all the firsthand information first. In order to know what to do, and all that private that we started off our lesson with, all he needed here was for the rest of your life, you have to pull that reserve cord. That was a simple, shocking statement straight from the sergeant. And he didn't need uh, a user manual to figure it out. He was never going to forget that simple command. All he had to do was cling to it. And that's how it should have been for this young prophet. He had a simple command straight from God. And all he should have done is cling to it. The young prophet, he was distracted by secondhand information and it cost him his life. You know, the, the story out of 1 Kings 13 is a cautionary tale. It tells us that if we cave in to information overload, if we allow ourselves to be overwhelmed by all the contradictory arguments we hear every day, uh, there will be consequences. But the good news for this generation is even when we have more information to grapple with than any other generation in history, God makes us know that it really doesn't have to be this complicated. We can understand what we need to know. We can uh, read the Bible without filters. We can go straight to the source. And our challenge then is to remain undistracted and to reserve our energy to cling to what truly is important. I mean, our young prophet showed us it's not as easy as it sounds, but he also shows us why it's so important. He shows us that this war of contradictory information that's being waged on us is a matter of life and death. And that's especially true when it comes to matters of eternal importance. You don't want to listen to secondhand information about how to come to Christ. Instead, you need to accept Jesus on his terms. 
Put your faith in him. Confess him as your, your Lord and master. Repent of your sins. Be baptized so you've been cleansed of those sins and live a life dedicated to obeying the simple commands of God. That's why Christ established the church, a fellowship of people who can help us stay focused on that good news. And that's why we're here this morning, to refresh our minds, to dig into the source material, uh, to reflect on why this information truly has so much value by participating in the Lord's Supper and to offer uh, an invitation to help anyone who needs to put their trust wholly in Christ and in Christ alone. So if you're ready to do that this morning, now is the time to come to the front of the room as we stand and as we